HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour, coming to you from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Today is day two of the Culinary Village. My name's Kat Johnson, and today, like I said, we're broadcasting from Charleston Wine and Food. We want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible, and to the Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having us down here for our fifth year in a row. Yeah. Um, I First of all, I'm joined by two of my HRN uh, colleagues. We have Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager. What's up? Good morning. And we have Eli Sussman, host of The Line. Good morning. Who did an excellent sound check for us this morning. Check our Instagram story to yes. see it. Tongue twisters are a really important <laughs> part of working in radio. Yes, they are. Um, so we're kicking it off a bit early today because we have two guests that were ex- where we just couldn't wait for the Culinary Village to open to start talking to them. And we, we really have- like starting the day with a cocktail. <laughs> yes, we do. And our guests today are Johnny Caldwell and Tanika Reeves, also known as the Cocktail Bandits. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Hello. What's so- up? I just want to read a bit about from your bio on your website because oh I my gosh. love it. <laughs> so it says, Johnny and Tanika are the dynamic duo known around the globe as the curly-haired cocktail bandits. You are the full-time Charleston ambassadors, and you met at the College of Charleston when you were freshmen, and you promote female empowerment through advocacy for the food and beverage community from a feminine, urban perspective. That's right. That's a lot to dive into, but take us back to meeting here in Charleston at college. Yes. So back in, oh my gosh, 2004 um, was the first day that me and Johnny met back in August. And um, yeah, it was almost 16 years ago now. And we've been friends ever since. When did you go from being just Johnny and Tanika friends to the cocktail bandits? Oh, my goodness. I'd like to say that we were already honorary Cocktail Bandits before we became official. But it um, officially became Cocktail Bandits in 2014. When we started, when we became 
legal drinking age is really when we started yeah, yes. cocktail banning. That was 2007. The world was never the same. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Charleston originally. I grew up in Mount Pleasant and went to Wando High School and all that good stuff. But Tanika's from um, Florence. So she just had a different appreciation for Charleston than I had. I was kind of like, as a native, like over it a little bit, over the beaches, over the historic plantations, like over all of that. Terrible life. Just like, ah, gosh, the palm trees. But she came here and she just loved every bit of all of this Charleston stuff. And it kind of gave me like a new appreciation for it as well. And um, I wasn't really downtown that much when I was growing up. We just never came downtown. So to be immersed at the College of Charleston in the heart of what was happening in Charleston and, and seeing all the amazing chefs Sean Brock, Michael Lotta, Chef B.D. Dennis was even doing, you know, making waves back then um, at the cocktail club. So to be able to be around that and see it happening, we, we knew then we wanted to be a part of it. We just didn't know what our place was going to be. Talk more about that. How did you sort of develop what your place would be when you're not necessarily in a kitchen or behind a bar? Um, how did you figure out that there was a different way to get involved in the conversation around food and drink in Charleston? Um, just being immersed in the culture, we saw Charleston growing. Like in 2012, like the whole King Street construction was insane. So we were like, man, this place is about to be big and happening. So we wanted to find our space in it. I was bartending um, since we finished college. Johnny went to law school and then I got into the bar scene because I was done with school and realized that this could be a career, like this could really be a thing. So I wanted to like um, further my knowledge and apply to, I applied to several bars, maybe 25, 30 bars, and no one called me back. So instead of looking at it as an obstacle, we looked at it as an opportunity. That was when Instagram first started and we realized that people were making brands and businesses online. And we were like, we could probably apply what they're doing in fitness and what they're doing in beauty and hair to cocktails. And let's just see if it works. And it ended up working. And can you talk a little bit about the work that you do to empower other women in the industry? Yes. Well, we definitely like to feature women, especially women bartenders. When we first started, there were not a lot of women behind the bar. So we like to feature women. We always um, make cocktails to kind of, you know, cater to the woman's palate. And we're always asking questions because women spend a lot of money in booze, but they don't really know a lot about the booze. So we like to educate on what is a gin, what is a scotch, what is a vodka, what is a proper way to make a cocktail, things like that. So you build a brand on Instagram, but talk about kind of the the events and the education that you do with people, kind of like what, do, what does a typical cocktail bandit event or like day in the life look like for you? Yeah, I think um, social media is always going to be a big aspect of what we do as a brand because it was such a powerful tool to spread the word about what we were doing here. Like Tanika said, she had difficulty finding work in the bar industry downtown in Charleston proper. And when I finished law school, I had difficulty finding work as well as a lawyer. So we really had to utilize whatever tools we could because we didn't have a whole lot of financing. We didn't have people who we would tell them we wanted to be a cocktail band and they'd be like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is that so we had to find within ourselves value and say you know we are the cocktail bandits we are hosting events we do know about spirits and we want to showcase that from a Charleston perspective so we started we had to take what we were doing online and bring it in person so that's why the events are so important because it allows us to have the interaction of sharing information in face-to-face 
So we do mixology classes where we actually have hand-on sessions where you can make your own martini, you can shake up your own margarita. And it's empowering because most of the people in our classes have never made a proper cocktail. Even if they have the bar tools on their bar, it's just for decoration. They never actually utilize it. So when you put the tools in someone's hand, you can just see them light up knowing now what to do with it. So they almost always go back home and will make that cocktail or some derivative of it for their friends and their family. And it just keeps the lesson and the education moving forward. We kind of got introduced to festivals by happenstance um, due to the Lee brothers. Um, a few years ago, the city paper wrote an article on us and then, then they saw us, they reached out to us via email and was like, please make a cocktail for us for Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. At this point, we weren't even looking at festivals as a way to really promote our brand. I mean, just it's a difference in cultures. Our African-American community, I don't think, is really being marketed to to involve themselves with uh, food destination travel. Mm -hmm. So being as we went to the College of Charleston, we really didn't know wine and food was happening right down the street from our school when we were students. That's something that our parents could have attended, our friends, our families. So we wanted to also educate our community on all this amazing festivals and celebration of food and wine in our community and be like, please partake. We're here enjoying it. You come and enjoy something new and also have a different culinary experience. So that's why the events and using um, the social media is so important because we can share those experiences in person and online through that platform. I'm wondering a little bit about how you educate yourselves and continue to grow your company because cocktails are a lot of people are really intimidated by them and what you drink when you're 21 is not the same as what you drink five years later like whatever we were all drinking in college is probably not right. probably not still drinking that jack and coke anymore right no. so um what are some maybe spirits or mixers or things that you're really into right now that you've been promoting and uh how do you continue to to educate yourselves as you educate others? Well, I don't have any cocktail knowledge outside of Cocktail Bandits. So the first thing that I had to do to be able to contribute to our brand was learn how to make a cocktail. So we literally got a book offline and made every single cocktail in the book and remixed it with local ingredients like muscadines and loquats just to infuse a little bit of Charleston into our cocktails. And we did that and we showcased all of those creations on social media. We're also members of the United States Bartenders Guild, so we get a lot of education from when brands come in, Sip Smith, Bombay Sapphire, they'll come in and they'll Campari, they'll come in and they'll do educational classes that we always attend because if we don't avail ourselves to information, you know, there's no one forcing us like in a job to go to a training. We have to actually go out and do it. Uh, we also travel a lot and actually go to the areas where people are making these spirits to meet the makers themselves. We were just in Cognac, France um, two weeks ago, and we were able to meet makers from the high-end houses like Cavassier down to the smaller houses um, like Pasquet Cognac. So it was great to be able to hear how generationally they kept the spirit alive, um, things that are changing in their market from sustainability to just the, the concerns of the vintners. And we are able to share those um, experiences, not just on social media, but we will host classes on Cognac and share our personal experience um, with the people in the class that we had there. So the education is just ongoing and we try to travel as much as possible to, to meet people face to face. 
And what's great about Charleston, too, is there's such a happening beverage scene here. Not only are there spirits, but there are non-alcoholic beverages as well. So we also participate in other um, community nonprofit groups like um, LGBTQ, uh, queer proms and things like that. So we are always like trying to level up our drink making skills. So we'll make mocktails for events like that. We do a lot of events with kids and we've even judged um, a full on mocktail competition for Ben's Friends, which is a, well, you guys know what Ben's Friends is. So we, tell us, yeah. Please. Okay, well, it's Not a, everyone listening may know, yeah. Okay, well, Ben's Friends is a nonprofit that basically um, helps people who had um, drug and alcohol problems, and it really just promotes, you know, being sober. So we really like um, their program, and we like to support anything that has to do with beverages. And I drink, and sometimes a good mocktail is a nice way to... I love mocktails. ...just enjoy yourself, and you don't always have to have alcohol in it. It's a little drink between drinks. Right. You know what I'm saying? So... Do you have a favorite mocktail that you feel like is just as much fun as a a cocktail might be? Yes, I do. I actually make a mocktail with with this um, coffee soda here that's called Arabica. Yeah, we had them on last year. That's really good. Yes. Michael Mai, he's awesome. Yeah. So I make a tea cocktail with mint simple syrup and I just top it with that coffee soda and it's a little pick me up it's a little minty and it feels like you're drinking something but there's no alcohol in it and I always love that I was gonna ask what other spirits or bars are you really excited about right now in Charleston I'm always interested in what they're doing at Graf. They have a beautiful wine selection. And when we were in Cognac, we got to taste, we weren't just drinking Cognac. We had some amazing French wines over there as well. Something that they call, um, it's called Pinot, which is a combination of grape juice and Cognac that's been arrested. And that's something that I love to see in Charleston. The places like Graf are the ones that are gonna place bottles like that on their shelves. They're they're young, they're open-minded, they're progressive. And that's what we need, we need a, a a variety of things to imbibe here in Charleston, not just bourbon. <laughs> I think that the watch is really cool at the restoration. They are always playing with new cocktails and having seasonal fun drinks, and they just have a cool vibe up there. It's a great view of the city as well. So, Handcraft also. Yeah. When we were at Handcraft at Mount Pleasant, they made you a really good mocktail yeah. there as well that had like yam, juice, or jot or something in it's it. It's like a purple purple yam. It was delicious. Yeah, it was like a purple yam, a purple potato puree situation. It was really good. It was decadent. On that thread, when you, say you go to a new bar you haven't been to before, how do you approach the bar? How do you approach the menu? What are you looking for? What sticks out to you? How do you make a decision? Well, the first thing I'm looking for is tequila. I'm perusing (laughs) and I'm saying, which cocktail has tequila in it? And then that's it. That's my first decision. Like that's the first cocktail I'm going to try. You're going first with what the spirit in the cocktail is. Yes. The spirit matters. Spirit matters. Service to me is so important because you can make a decision within the first five minutes when you walk into a bar or restaurant whether or not you want to leave. (laughs) So so if you're not being greeted appropriately, if someone isn't giving you water, water service is so important to me. I cannot stand being at a bar and I've had two or three cocktails or someone next to me has had a cocktail and they don't have water in front of them. It's just not responsible. So you have to make sure that your guests are staying hydrated and they're drinking water. So all those different things can impact my experience within the first five minutes, whether or not I even order a cocktail. 
earlier on you referenced palate and and talking about how you know catering cocktails to different clientele and uh, there's been a big trend. Well. Actually, I should ask you what the trends are, which is what I will do. But you've seen a lot of uh, bitter forward cocktails like mm. in the last couple of years, like ne- the Negroni explosion, right? Like, I don't think people even knew what Negronis were a couple of years ago. And I, I had read that it is w- one of the most popular cocktails worldwide now. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering um, if you like trends in cocktails or if you find it kind of annoying and you'd rather that that they don't exist and if you do see trends that are coming up on the horizon um what are you seeing and what do you like about it maybe what do you not like about it well um there was a saint germain trend about five years ago where everyone was making saint germain cocktails they called it like bartender's ketchup so they literally, like, everyone was making cocktails with um, St. Germain. But we went to Italy last year with the Italian Trade Commission, and um, their big goal was getting Americans and Canadians to really start mixing up the spirits that they've been drinking just straight for generations. And a lot of those spirits are bitter. A lot of them are bitter. But it, it excites your appetite, so you want to eat after after you have one of those cocktails. So I understand why they drink bitter cocktails and I've actually learned to like them myself because of just trying we went to five distilleries in the south and just being able to taste what Italy has to offer no wonder why Campari is so popular and why the Aperol Spritz is so popular because a little bitter a little sweet I I enjoyed that trend so Cocktails are a form of education. I mean, there are a lot of, there's so many different spirits on the market that people don't even know how to use. So brands have been strategic in giving you a cocktail form of something and introducing their spirit that way. Even with Patron, they have been doing the margarita challenges and the margarita competition for years as a way to educate the market on what tequila is. I mean, people will say, I don't like tequila, but they love margaritas. There's a disconnect. (laughs) So we have to educate people on what they're drinking and the best way to do it is give it into a form that's approachable like a margarita. So I, I love seeing that. I love seeing the ad campaigns that have people not only enjoying the cocktails, but showing the lifestyle that's attached to it. I think that's what we do. When we work with these brands on ad campaigns, we show how we would enjoy it on the beach in Charleston at a beautiful hotel during a staycation. So not only are you thinking about what the drink is going to taste like, you're thinking about how you are going to be in that setting enjoying the cocktail as well. It just enhances the overall experience. So I think, um, I hope that brands continue to do that. It makes it easier for us as marketers to be able to show people how to enjoy their cocktail, enjoy the spirit uh, through a really tasty cocktail. And I do like spritzes. I think spritzes are a real trend right now. So people are spritzing everything up. I, I really enjoy that trend. I don't know about all the flavored liquors. Some of the flavored gins are freaking me out. Mm. Some of the flavored vodkas are a little extra. Okay, I want, I want to get your input on the, uh, the, the spiked seltzer trend. Ooh, well, I mean, it's, it's killing it. We judge a spirits competition every year, and now the spritzers are actually being entered in the competition. It was just spirits at one point, and now it's, like, becoming the spritzer. So it's really taken over. And I think the fact that the less than 100 calories is really, it really moves people because you don't want to drink so much and then you have a big gut, Mm -hmm. you're bloated, you feel horrible. So they've been really able to sell to that market of people who 
want to drink and still stay fit. The, the vodka water people are really the people that are killing the spritz trend. On the, on the Aperol spritz or, or spritz in general, do you have a favorite? Do you like to go with the classic Aperol or Campari spritz or do you have another liqueur that you like to spritz up? Gotta love Aperol. They've been really good to us as a brand. Shout out to Aperol <laughs> and Campari. And uh, just having those experiences actually being there in Italy. Like Sneka said, she went to five different distilleries in the south of Italy. And I went to five different distilleries in the north of Italy over about 10 days. So having that personal connection and like seeing the oranges and seeing the lemons in the limoncello, it just translates a little bit different. So it'll always have a, a space in my heart. But a St. Germain spritz is amazing also if you want something that's more on the sweeter side but still light in um, alcohol content because all of the, the ABV in Aperol is like 22% or something like that. It's super low. Mm -hmm. I like Ramazzotti too. Ramazzotti, Ramazzotti spritzes are delicious. Like I, I like love, a Chinar spritz. I like Chinar we should wear our Chinar shoes. We, we oh. have some Chinar vans. They're so Sweet. dope. Chinar yeah. is an artichoke <laughs> liqueur for those who don't mm -hmm. know what it is. It's really uh, herbal. It's good. They're amazing. Yeah. Ch Chinar is interesting, like you said, Johnny. It's like the artichoke, I think, might throw some people off, but <laughs> it is great because it's bitter. And so, like, it's cutting, cutting that sweetness of mm -hmm. uh, Prosecco or whatever you're putting in. Yep. And I, I like that. Within our bar community, we do a lot of, um, like, for net shots, especially here in Charleston. Do you know what Fernet is? It's like a, a yes, another. Tell us, yeah. It's another herbal based, like gentian and um, like wormwood type of uh, liqueur. liqueur. Mm -hmm. So we mostly just shoot it as like a bartender's handshake, as like a <laughs> among our community. But you can actually use it to make a cocktail. And I think bartenders do stuff like that. We like the real funky types of spirits, like Malort. No one's drinking that every day. <laughs> but when you get around other beverage nerds, we want to talk about really nuanced and really like special rare spirits. So um, the more we're educated and can introduce these new rare products to our consumer base, the better the whole community is. I'm curious about brand building and the continuation of what you've been able to accomplish so far. How do you both strategize about where Cocktail Bandits is going to go in the future? Like, what are your what are your hopes for it? And uh, people that listening that might have like a little inkling of their own idea, like how you've you've been able to really put this into action and had have, have a great amount of success. What would you um, offer? folks that are maybe trying to do something like what you already done. Okay. That was, a, okay. What was the first part? Again? That's a lot. That was a yeah. lot. Um, I, I guess, how have you built what you built? What are you hoping to do in the future with it? I think that, um, what we imagined it's evolved like 10,000 times over that. Like we wanted a book and we got the, we had, we got a book in two years and that was like a five to 10 year plan. Mm -hmm. And it just came. We didn't even think that we were going to do festivals until the Lee brothers invited us to um, Atlanta food and wine. So that was our first festival we went to was Atlanta's. So we meet these people and it just starts to grow into these areas that we hadn't even imagined yet. I think that, a real goal is to, you know, maybe one day have our own podcast. You never know. Well, we uh, know people that make podcasts. Do you? We do. Oh, well, I'm going to have to keep well, you guys in mind. Absolutely. <laughs> so maybe doing our own podcast, talking about our adventures, because we do something really every day. It's just so much content that we don't want to overwhelm people with mm -hmm. everything that we have going on. But like a podcast or a TV show would be awesome. Maybe something with 
some fashions, you know, in the future. But we're pretty much open to anything that just makes us better and evolves us and takes us to new heights. For people that want to do something like this, I just say connect. Get online and find other people that are doing what you're doing, especially smaller brands, and see how you can collaborate because collaborations and partnerships really helped our brand grow. Uh, speaking of collaborations, tonight you're doing an event with Chef BJ Jenis. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you worked with him to develop a cocktail that will complement the, the food? Well, we know Chef BJ Dennis. He's just a very close, dear friend of ours. So we've done several different collaborations with him over the years. It's always really good to have someone who we share a perspective with. He's a Galakichi person as well, so he's always has that in the forefront of his meals. And we try to consider that as well whenever we're making cocktails to be intentional and to put a little bit of Charleston in the mix. So when we had the idea of doing something special for wine and food, we wanted to represent that. So, you know, the, the voyage to West Africa, the gala dinner is really special. He's brought in some amazing chefs from all over the country, even some from the islands. So we have um, designed three different cocktails to be able to infuse um, some different flavors into the meal and also to be a cause of celebration. Like this is a, a great thing. We want to shed light on the different contributions people of color have been making to the food and beverage ways, not here in Charleston, but also uh, internationally. So showcasing our drinks alongside uh, the meals from the chefs, I think is going to be incredibly impactful. We actually had to extend the amount of people that we were going to be serving from 50 to 70 to be able to comp uh, accommodate the request. I mean, people really wanted to participate in. Wow. That always excites us, that people really want to uh, see what we're offering. So we are getting ready for a sold-out event tonight. Yeah, sold-out, <laughs> I think, the first week. Real fast. Yeah, I think it sold-out the first week. We were yeah. like, wow, we didn't know people were going to wow. be that excited about it, but we're super pumped about it. I'm not surprised. As well. It's very exciting. It is, and we're able to use some really fun products. We're working with a passion fruit liqueur called Chinola for the first time that they make in the Dominican Republic. So we're putting some island influence on that. Um, we're working with some fun vodkas, Russell's Reserve, which is a 10-year um, bourbon whiskey. So just a lot of different flavors going on, and we have stories attached to all of them. We've been to Wild Turkey where they make Russell's Reserve, so we just want to have a story and, and to tell all of how it's connected to the Galakichi um, and African diaspora. Amazing. Sounds like fun. All right, last question for you, ladies. Um, where can people learn more about you? Where can they find you online? Yes, you could find us online at Cocktail Bandits. That's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. There's a little Snapchat action going on. We're getting a TikTok at some point. I don't know. See, it's coming. We're telling Eli to do TikTok. If the TikTok Cocktail Bandits coming. are doing it, you got to do it. TikTok is coming. <laughs> um, and you can go to our website at www.cocktailbandits.com. Amazing. And please pick up our book, Holy Spirits, Charleston's Culture Through Cocktails, at any of your fine book retailers around the country. We're in Books a Million, Barnes & Nobles. We're at uh, Buxton Books here in Charleston, Blue Bicycle Books, Itinerant Literate, all the good stuff's around here. Uh, but definitely check us out on Amazon uh, for everyone who is out there in the world and not here in Charleston. Perfect. Well, once again, we were speaking to Johnny Caldwell and Tanika Reeves, a.k.a. the Cocktail Bandits. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you all. Thank you. We'll be right back with uh, someone who we just mentioned, the Lee Brothers. They're going to be oh, right nice. after you. This program is powered by Simplecast.